Well, hey, welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Jeff Baumgartner, Senior Editor with Light Reading. And hello, this is Jonathan Davidson. I am the Executive Vice President and General Manager of what we call the Mass Scale Infrastructure Group All right. at Cisco. At Cisco, yes, we got to make sure. Got to kind of say that we, we, we say where you're, who you're with. So, so Jonathan, we're here at uh, in Las Vegas at Cisco Live. We've been here all week. You've probably been here even longer than me, I think. Right. <laughs> so, um, but I'm glad to have an opportunity to talk to you. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the, the events covered a lot of ground, um, but uh, you know, broadband, you know, is definitely central to the conversation, you know, that, that's going on here. And when the broadband market, you know, is being discussed these days, it's either about, you know, the, the, the rate of growth, you know, slowing from a subscriber standpoint after the big surge in the earlier days of, pan, of the pandemic. And then also the, the digital divide and this like surge in uh, government funding that we're seeing. Um, so whether it's RDOF or the new infrastructure bill, so we're obviously, I think we're going to focus a little bit on the latter today, you know, the digital divide stuff. So, uh, you know, here at the event, I mean, Cisco has been talking about the still massive number of homes and locations that are unconnected, uh, I guess, in the U.S., but also worldwide. Um, you know, and connecting them is going to be ultimately the responsibility of the service provider or the operator, I would imagine. So... Uh, just maybe get us up to speed on kind of where, you know, what, what Cisco's thinking is in this part of the market, the opportunity and kind of the role you, know, you expect to be playing there. No, absolutely. Well, well, thanks. This is a, certainly is a, a really important topic for us. It kind of cuts to the heart of who we are. Um, we, you know, Chuck talked about on stage that we're focused on powering an inclusive future for all. Uh, that's not just a tagline. That's what we, we believe we uh, are here to do from a purpose perspective, and you know one of the one of the ways that that we believe that we can have uh, an impact from our day jobs is is making sure that we are focused on driving uh, open interfaces and open standards because that drives innovation and innovation drives lower costs. And if you have lower costs uh, for infrastructure, then you're actually able to go and connect more people and more things. And um, around the world, there's 3 billion people who are either underserved or, or unconnected completely. Uh, and so we've been, we've been doing a lot uh, around the world to help figure out how we can provide more technology. And then our, in, our, uh, in our night job, you might say, we've been going and working with, with local communities. We have our CDA, our country digitization acceleration, where we can help, um, help countries with their digitization and digitalization uh, needs. And, and also we were able to go and um, help even states with when you start talking about uh, we're taking, we're taking CDA to the states now as well um, because uh, it's a big and country. And CDA again is? And CDA is our country digitalization acceleration program where, okay. where we partner with um, countries to help them with their uh, ability to uh, digitally transform. Okay, so you're, you're yeah, so you have the opportunity in the U.S., but you're you got, you're taking kind of a global view on this issue, this problem, absolutely, this opportunity, however we want to characterize it. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Um, so, how would you then kind of characterize the work that's 
gone on so far, right? It's kind of an initiative. Uh, you know, some of the government funding projects are kind of underway, like RDOF, you know, the infrastructure bill, like you said, the state levels are, are gonna uh, kind of figure this out. I know it's kind of early on in some respects, but uh, just want to kind of maybe get caught up on, you know, how far down down the field you are with this. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think it's it's important. There's a lot of different. There's more than just those two funding mechanisms here in the mm -hmm. U.S. And then if you start looking at what's happening in in Europe and elsewhere, there's a tremendous amount of uh, of money flowing into this need. And I think one of the one of the good outcomes uh, or silver linings of, of the pandemic is that I think governments finally realized that the, the, the internet and connectivity is absolutely a human right. And just like here in the US, many, many, many decades ago, it was a imperative for us to get our, our nation, nationwide highway systems going we we now i think every the government understands that we need to get our digital highways going as well and so i'm really happy to see the funding uh going in from all these different angles some of it's coming to the states some of it's coming to municipalities some of it like ardoff has already been allocated and there's right. milestones that need to be met we have a list of all of these things uh and and where local people need to make decisions whether it's a municipality or a state we're working at the state level we're working with government to make sure to help them understand the, the best way to structure um, the, the disbursement so that you get the maximum return. Because the worst part of this could be that if we don't do it the right way, we could miss a huge opportunity to, to really connect everyone so that you, your kids, your kids' kids uh, are gonna be able to be part of, of the digital economy. Yeah, so how are you, like, whether it's in the U.S. or internationally, how are you kind of engaging into this, right? Are you going in with a service provider? Are you, you know, uh, kind of uh, taking on directly with with a government agency? You know, just trying to kind of, kind of figure out how you kind of fit into the ecosystem of the, the engagement part of it. Um, well, I, I was wondering if you're familiar with the E-rate program. Um, so, and, and many of the, the listeners are probably familiar with that as well. So, so with E-Rate, you would lurk, work with a local school district um, or someone who qualifies for E-Rate. You would help them understand um, what's possible because some of them don't even fully understand what E-Rate is or how to utilize it. Well, education is a big so thing. Education yeah. is a big thing. Here's what's coming. Here's what's available. Do you have a need? And if so, then we can sit down with you and, and help you design what might be needed. Uh, and then they go and submit uh, an application. So we think it's a very similar model here where there's a fair amount of, of education that needs to happen and then also um, understanding of their options. So um, you've heard probably some of the politicians talking about um, they want local control. They want the municipality to control it. Um, they want a partnership between government and, uh, and, uh, and industry. And, and that's great, but we also need to educate them that um, buying buying the internet is not a one-time phenomenon, right? You can't just like buy it off the shelf and yeah. say, well, okay, you can, we've got it? You can buy it off the shelf, but you have to operate this network, right? And that's what I'm Oh, hearing. right, yeah, going forward. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so you don't know, plug it in and just walk away. Walk away exactly. from it, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's, a, there's an element of like, hey, you need to actually have the structure, who's gonna operate it, who's gonna maintain it, you have to upgrade software, fiber gets cut, 
So there's, there's, a, there's an educational process to make sure people understand all of the various steps. And if your municipality wants to do it, that's great. If they want to do it and then and hire an SP, that's great. So we're, we're there to, first of all, just to help make sure people understand what the options are. And then, and then we, can, we can move forward from there. And I, I'll tell you, this is very similar to what we did partnering with MuralNet here in, in the U.S., where, uh, where Mariam, who's the CEO of MuralNet, was going and, and uh, first educating a lot of the tribal um, leaders um, for Native Americans to make sure that they knew that they had the rights to 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. And all they had to do was ask for it. Um, and, and so there was a big uh, push to that, that she and her team did to go and make sure that they knew that, hey, it's there. If you ask for right. it, you actually then own the spectrum. So here's an opportunity that is hiding out in the open in, in that case. Right. Okay. And, and her team, they did a phenomenal job. They, I think there's over 100 um, tribal lands now that own 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. Interesting. So the, what has been then kind of the, uh, I guess it matters, it depends on the project or the initiative or the, you know, where the funding is uh, located, but what is kind of the, the current picture on the kind of push and pull, you know, involved with these, you know, I guess another way of thinking about it, you know, how much of it is reactive on your part versus proactive, you know, we're, we're, what's the balance on that? I, I think we're trying to be very proactive um, across all levels, federal, state, local, municipality. Um, you know, it's, the, the, the money is coming um, for, for them and we really want to make sure that it's, it's put to good use. This is really important to, 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 close, this, to close this digital divide. Um, and I, I, I've said this many times, but I'm sure everyone remembers it. And even in Silicon Valley, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a, on the front page of the local paper, there was a picture of these kids who were on their, on their phones and sitting in the parking lot of the Taco Bell so they could get Wi-Fi, so they could go to school um, because there was no actually going to school and um, physically. And so uh, that was a... I think a call to action for many people, and, and we saw certainly the, you know, a surge in broadband connectivity for um, for a lot of people here in the U.S. and I think globally as well. Uh, and there were those who were very ready for it, like for example, PLDT in the Philippines. They have been they've been building a new uh, infrastructure for for the last several years, and they were able to to um, really uh, have a great experience as good as you could have <laughs> with, mm -hmm. with the pandemic because they've been investing so heavily in, in their infrastructure. Okay, interesting. And then if you had to boil it down, I mean, we talked a lot, you know, there's a lot of different issues kind of involved or challenges. So if you had to boil it down, I mean, what, if you had an opportunity to iron one out to start, which, which one would be the one that like needs the most ironing at this point? Um, I, I think the first one is always education. Right. Make sure people know what their options are. There's a lot of options. Obviously, cable is an option. Fiber is an option. Uh, fixed wireless access is an option. So understand the technical options, but then also understanding what the gaps are in their community. I, I'm not. I'm not sure that everyone fully understands in your local community what the gaps might even be or not be. So I think there's some some work that that needs to be done. To, to make sure that it's there so that it can be affordable over the long run. Right, and, and I mean, that kind of fits in with the general mapping 
challenge. You know, it's like you know the SEC is trying to work through that, but you're saying, hey, even at a very local level, they they you know they don't have a may not have a full sense right. of what's going on. Okay, and then you know I'm glad you you brought up kind of the the multiple options at least from the access network side. You know how how we're making connectivity available. Uh, you know, a lot of the focus has been obviously on fiber, uh, perhaps some fixed wireless access involved. Um, now, on the on either side, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, we know Cisco has a pretty good play into the fiber market. You know, any kind of wired connectivity on the wireless side. What, what's your play there? And, and is uh, you kind of view it as, hey, we're agnostic on that that front? Yeah, I mean, we're certainly we're certainly agnostic. We we have launched our our, our, our private 5G as a, as a service, um, which is 4G and 5G. We just say private 5G because people well, you got to round up anyway. <laughs> you got to round up. Right. Uh, yeah, we're going to keep rounding up, I think, for a while. Uh, as, long <laughs> as, as long as I think we're all in the tech space, we're going to keep rounding up. Yeah. Um, but but the, I, I do think that there's definitely a play for, for fixed wireless access. Um, and where we contribute primarily there is, is the backhaul network. Uh, when it becomes fixed, and also from a mobile core perspective, you still need to have that subscriber management, uh, even if it's fixed wireless access. And so, we're we're big believers in that. We believe we've got the market leading mobile core um, that's all microservices driven. It's it's it drives not only uh, a, quite a number of subscribers around the world on the consumer side, uh, it it also uh, drives over 200 million IoT things with over 60 different. Um, communication service provider partners, as we're the number one connected car player as well, with, with, over, with about 80 million connected vehicles coming into Cisco data centers through our 60 plus partners. And so we're, we're, we're really excited about, about where we're going in that space. But as far as which radio you use and all that sort of good stuff, um, we're pretty agnostic on that side. Okay, and you brought up 5G as a service, right? So. Yeah. Uh, is there a lot of work with that product related to you know, what we're talking about here with rural and and uh, so we know. think that that it, it could be extensible over time. And I think we're still we're still early in in uh, in private five G, but the technology is all there to to be extensible to other use cases, and uh, and we're we're working with a, a relatively small set of system integrators and service provider partners right now. Uh, and working with enterprise end customers to understand all the various use cases. And uh, one of the reasons I keep tying these back together is because we see a lot of those initial use cases are going to be around IoT asset tracking or high value asset tracking. Um, and, uh, and we think these things actually will go together and drive a lot of the initial use cases. Okay. And the last question I had was, I mean, it's kind of more of the, you know, maybe a prediction or, you know, kind of a look ahead, right? We're talking about, hey, you know, we're at this point now, you know, we talk about some of the big challenges right now, you know, a year from now, uh, if we're back here talking about this topic, um, you know, what do you think will be resolved? And, you know, what, what, what do you see as like the, the next big hurdle that we're going to have to deal with? Well, I, I really think the thing that's slowing down private 5G right now is just supply chain, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like just getting the radios so that you can do, like we could do a lot more POCs, we could do a lot more deployments if we had access to radios, more radios faster. But I think that's a universal challenge for, for everyone right now. Uh, it's not just related to this market, but because we're at the beginning, I think that's it's slowing things down a little bit, just lack of, uh, of access to, to all the equipment that I think 
um, is needed in the marketplace. Yeah, and I think, uh, to your point, it, it's still kind of hard to forecast some of this, particularly with, with uh, you know, this sort of these some sort of funding projects and trying to figure out when, when, you know, when that stuff's going to be needed, when the money is going to be here. Uh, so it seems like a little bit of a juggling act right now, yeah. and that's making more comp. The supply chain constraints are just making that a little more challenging. Yeah, you, you got it, 100%. All right. Well, Jonathan, thanks a lot for joining us here. Um, nice to see you again. Great and, to see and, you as well. And everyone can hear you, so uh, I guess they'll say it's good to hear you too. Well, it's good to see you in three dimensions, and uh, it's great to, uh, great to hear you as well. All right. Thank you. All right, thanks.